Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, I want to begin today with a little poll. And there are four options in this poll. And you will respond to the poll by just raising your hand. Okay. So the question is, what is your favorite season? So the options are spring, summer, fall, and winter. So if your favorite season is spring, will you raise your hand? Okay. A lot more than any choir? Oh, Bonnie. That doesn't surprise me. Beautiful flowers. Okay, what about summer? Okay, little Anne. Okay, what about fall? There's the majority. Yep. Okay, and winter. Okay. Yes, winter was the least favorite in the other service as well, but there were a lot more spring and summer lovers in this service. But as I suspected, fall is the most beloved season. It is definitely my favorite season too, and I love that we are in the thick of it now. You know, it's October 30th. It's feeling not that much cooler outside because, well, in South Alabama, we don't really have seasons like other parts of the country and world do. I mean, we have hot, less hot, humid, more humid, rainy, and then just a couple of cool days sprinkled in there, just enough that you need a coat, but you kind of have to look for it each year because you don't need it very much. But there's still something about the burr months, the September, October, November, December, that just make us become seasoned people. A few weeks ago, I was talking to John Miller, and he said that his house had become ready for the seasons. And I asked, what does that mean? And he says he knows it's time for the seasons when his wife puts the seasonal hand soaps in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm used to this, the seasonal smells that happen during fall and Christmas especially. And Mobile needs, seems to be unique in how they also bring the season decor outside. I don't know if this just didn't happen in my neighborhoods growing up, but I have never been anywhere where people have decorated for Halloween like they do here. I mean, I was walking with some friends in the Midtown area the other day down North Monterey, and I every single house had either the huge spiders or the 20-foot skeletons, 
And by the way, if you have those skeletons, I have real questions about where and how you store them. They are so big. Like, what do you do with them the other 10, 11 months of the year when you don't have them up? But, you know, even with the heat, the humidity, the raininess that we have outside, it is fun to get into the full fall fashion with pumpkins and cider, football and chili, sweaters, fire pits, and hocus pocus. All of the spooky season things that make us feel grounded in where we are in the year. Later today at Trunk or Treat, we will have children and adults alike in costumes asking for candy. It's just truly a fun time of the year. I think the unique thing that happens in the Burr months is transformation after transformation. I mean, think about it. Our clothes change, our sports change, our decorations change, our music changes, and we welcome these changes. Again, it's kind of nice to break out of what is just usual time of year. When you get to about October, things start to change. And these changes are charming, sweet, and even whimsical. They break us out of our norm and give us the visible sign of where we are. But change and transformation are not always that simple or that welcomed. I mean, think about if you were trying to have a physical transformation, how long that would take, the determination, the discipline. If you were trying to have an emotional transformation, it could take years of therapy and self-reflection to work on yourself. But I think that spiritual transformations are the least predictable. Because for most people, the spiritual transformation takes place over your entire life. It is a slow process of trying to become more and more like Jesus every day. But every once in a while, we will hear a story or read one like the one we read today, where all it took was one encounter to change someone's life forever. Our passage today is about a wee little man named Zacchaeus, and a wee little man was he. This story is only found in one of the four Gospels. You know, the first three Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels, and they largely tell the same stories, but Zacchaeus is kind of a rare one. It's only found in the Gospel according to Luke. And even though there are four Gospels, each of the writers have their own agenda, their own thing they're trying to get across, and that is a common thread throughout the entire Gospel. And for Luke, he is primarily interested in people understanding the sacrificial nature of Jesus through his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, and in turn for people to understand how salvation has come for the whole world, the whole world. But another common thread we find in the Gospel of Luke is a general disdain for the rich. And I don't know if Luke didn't like the rich or if he thought Jesus didn't like the rich, but you see it throughout the Gospel. So when we come to this passage today in Luke 19, and it begins with, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief, chief tax collector who was rich, we expect that this story will end badly. A chief tax collector isn't the guy collecting your taxes. Historians think he was the guy in charge of the people collecting your taxes. He recruited those people. He was the regional director of tax collectors. But for Luke, as bad as all that was, what is worse is that he was rich. So again, we don't think this is going to end well, except a strange thing happens. 
When Jesus comes to town, Zacchaeus decides he wants to go and see him. And we're not told why. Was it a change of heart? Was he worried about competition? Was he motivated by hope or fear or maybe a little bit of both? We don't know. But we do know what he does in response to hearing that Jesus is in town. I want you to notice all of the urgency in this passage and all of the ups and downs. It says that he hurries up a short man to run up in a tree so he can look down at Jesus. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and says, hurry, come down. So Zacchaeus hurries and comes down so that Jesus can come to his house. When Jesus says he must stay at Zacchaeus' house today, this is expressing more than just the need for a night's lodging. The must of I must stay is the divine, divine imperative that Luke uses again and again to heavy, heavy theological weight. It must be done because it is God's will to be done. Nothing short of God's will can be done in this moment. So when he says to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house, this carries heavy, heavy weight. This short interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus changes his life. We see it immediately because upon his request to stay at his house, Zacchaeus says that he will give away half of what he owns, and if he has you know, taken more than he should, he'll give back four times the amount if he's defrauded anybody. This all happens in response to Jesus noticing him up in a tree, inviting him down, and asking to stay at his house. Jesus, too, affirms the real change that just took place in Zacchaeus when he says, Today salvation has come to this house, because he, too, is a son of Abraham. In the young adult Sunday school class that we have been having since the beginning of September, We've been making our way through the Old Testament, starting with Genesis, and we just got into Exodus last week and this week for the first time. We spent several weeks focusing on the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and trying to connect the dots, as it were, trying to understand the stories not by themselves, but how the stories build on each other, and they all point back to God keeping his covenant with Abraham and with all the people who follow. And you know, these stories, they can teach us a lot about humanity and salvation. Because from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, people have made decisions that made their lives messy. Even if we only look at the genealogy in Exodus that tells us how Moses came to be, who his folks are, we see over and over again stories of people choosing their will over God's, pushing their own agenda and timeline rather than trusting God. We see trickery, deception, and betrayal time and time again. And yet, these are the people whom God has chosen to work through. Someone in the class a few weeks ago asked the question that I'm sure we all wonder, are these, are these stories supposed to comfort us? Are they supposed to inspire us? Like, why did we have to include all the messy details of these people's lives. Why couldn't we just have our faith mothers and fathers as these pristine, almost perfect people that we can try and emulate? 
When Jesus brings Zacchaeus into the family of God, in this incredible, life-changing moment of salvation, it's also interesting to look at what the crowd does. Because instead of being happy and rejoicing at this moment where Jesus has intercepted this guy who is so hated in society and said, I see value in you, and I want to come to your house and spend time with you, the crowds around when they hear this happen, they start to grumble. He's not worth it. That's what they're saying. Don't waste your time on him, Jesus. This guy is really bad. Trust us. Don't hang out with him. You don't want him representing you on the streets. I definitely wouldn't go to his house. And we hear this and we might think, how ridiculous. But we're really not all that different today. How often do we grumble at other people's transformations? And perhaps sometimes this grumbling comes out as cynicism or skepticism. We might say things like, oh, no way. No way that person has really changed. I see them on the weekends. I went to college with them. Or how about, I'll believe it when I see it. But thank God, Jesus is way more gracious than we are. Jesus gently reminds the crowd through his actions that day that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, the same family that God called and made a covenant with so long ago, a, cho a chosen royal priesthood whom amazing things can happen through. Zacchaeus has repented and been given the gift of salvation. So his past, his sins, his mistakes, all of his evil deeds have been erased. And this is a gift of grace that we could never earn or deserve. Similar to the act of grace that we got to all witness this morning in Edie's baptism. You know, we don't know exactly how God does it in the moment of baptism. But we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the water, that when someone is baptized, that they are transformed and made into a member of Christ's holy family. Edie is a part of the family of God now, and we celebrate this transformation. We all got to see this happen today. And you know, when we think back over the service, we might not can pinpoint the moment it happened, but we knew that God was here. We felt it. We can sense it, and we do celebrate Baptisms are a reminder that the grace of God is at work even from the moment we are born and continues to follow us as we do make mistakes but then try to repent and get it right as we seek to be more like Christ every day. The story of Jesus and Zacchaeus is a reminder that God calls and uses all of us to fulfill the divine will here on earth. There's no one that's too young or too old too good or too bad, too poor or too rich, that God cannot redeem and restore. This is good news for all of us. So as we continue making our way through the Burr months, with all of their charming decorations, traditions, and holidays, I want to challenge you not to overlook the more subtle transformations that are taking place in those around you. We as United Methodists are not always the best at evangelism. We try to give that to other denominations that we think might be better at it. I don't know. I think largely what we do is say that we live in the Bible Belt. Everyone's heard about Jesus. 
But the thing is, what if we sought to be the body of Christ by helping lead people to the one who came to seek and save the lost? Because no one is beyond redemption. Any transformation in Christ denotes a celebration. So let us be like Zacchaeus and happily welcome Jesus into our hearts, into our homes, and to look for ways that he is doing the same for those around us. Amen.